Los Angeles listeners of the Nerdist Writers Panel and the Nerdist Comics Panel, the Comics Panel co-host Heath Corson has his very first comic book coming out from DC Comics tomorrow. That's Wednesday the 3rd. Uh, it is Bizarro number one, and it is really good. Uh, I'm a bit of an industry insider, so I've seen it already. It's really good. Uh, if you are in L.A., come on out to a signing that Heath is doing at Meltdown Comics, home to Nerdist, uh, at Sunset and Gardner. Uh, come to Meltdown at 7 p.m. Heath will sign your Bizarro comic. You'll pick up the Bizarro comic, which you should, because it's great. It's well-written. It's funny. Without being silly, it's silly. Without being stupid. Uh, and the art is just stunning. Uh, so check out Bizarro Number 1 this Wednesday. And come on out and get it signed by Heath, who wrote it. Heath Corson. And uh, at Meltdown at 7 p.m. See you there. Now entering Nerdist.com. My name is Ben Blacker. I'm the host and creator of the Nerdist Writers Panel, which you are currently listening to. I'm also a TV writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Super Ninjas, and currently for uh, the DreamWorks Netflix program Puss in Boots. Check it out. It's now available. I'm also the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, a stage program in the style of old-time radio that is now a podcast right here on the Nerdist Network every week. Go to thrillingadventurehour.com for more details. If you enjoy the Nerdist Writers Panel, please leave a review on iTunes and let us know who you want to see on this program by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, just like it sounds, and by liking this show on Facebook, facebook.com slash Panel. Now, here's a theme song, or an ad. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blecker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. Let's begin. All right. Chris Sparling is here, you guys. Thank you for being here, Chris. Uh, if people know you, which many people do, uh, it is from, in fact... Aristotle and I were just talking about this. It is from people in the box genre. Yeah. Uh, I think your first, was it your first produced film was Buried? Yeah. Uh, and then that ATM followed that. Yes. So this was the boxes. It was, first one guy in a box and then right, three guys then in a box. three people in a box. And it was kind of, uh, it was just a, a thing I was going through. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to work, I had to work through it. I understand. You were feeling claustrophobic at home. Yeah, exactly. Um, I do want to talk about that stuff, but... You are now out of the box. I'm out of the box. You are. I was. We were just saying before we started rolling. You were working on a million things. Um, Feels like which a, is, a million. I mean, that's that's where you want to be, right? Like that's we start yeah. telling these stories because we have so many stories to tell. I would imagine. Yeah. No. No. I. I. I, I kind of said a million as if uh, it's a good problem to have, yeah. I and mean, that's the problem I want. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, but but it doesn't change the fact that the work still has to get done. Sure. And I, I, will, I do want to talk about your process, but let's talk about just a couple of the ones that are sort of upcoming. So you have the new, the Gus Van Sant movie. What is that? How did you get attached to him? How did that movie mm-hmm. attach itself to you? What is the story of it? So that movie, uh, it's called The Sea of Trees. And it was something I wrote as a spec. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was, you know, it, it's kind of funny you brought up the box thing first because I tr- wanted to break out of that box uh-huh. <laughs> of, of being just uh you know i mean it's look i think it's i felt very lucky uh to have gotten my break in the first place after trying for so long yeah. and you know but what what ended up happening 
uh, for a while is that I kind of was put in that box of just being the guy that writes the small contained movies and everything else. And, and I think that's a good thing at first to have kind of this thing you're known for. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. But yeah, I mean, like, what, what were – I'm going to interrupt you a no, lot because I want to kind of dig into the stuff. But, like, what are the positive aspects of that? Because that is something mm-hmm. we talk about. You know, you get known for doing a certain type of movie or a certain genre. There are absolutely benefits to that. Yeah, because, I mean, there's there's quite a few people doing this. And it's – at the very least, you kind of get thought of when one particular movie comes mm-hmm. around. Uh, so it's not – you're not just always kind of in the background. There's at least one area where you kind of shine. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, in a way. But, you know, that's that's not just where I wanted to live forever. Of course. And so, you know, to kind of help break out of that. And, you know, and as assignments were coming in, it kind of always was, you know, these smaller movies and everything else. And, and again, very grateful for that, but wanted something more. So I, I, I came up with the idea of writing this movie, The Sea of Trees, which is a drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very different than kind of the thrillers mostly mm-hmm. that I'd written previously. And, uh, you know, I talked to my reps about it, and my agent just – you know, he just kind of was, you know, I, t- I pitched it to him and he just said, you know, it's it's not really a very commercial film. I don't know. But if you have to get it out of your system, mm-hmm. by all means, go write it. And I did. It was one of those things I just I had to get out of my system. And Interesting. And, and that was kind of where it started. Is it a personal story to you? Not or to me, no. a story that wanted to be told? No, it's just, you know, truth be told, it's just uh, I, I learned about the forest, Aoki Gahara, the suicide forest from Cracked.com. Really? Yeah, 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 which I read all the time. How funny. And, uh, and I just thought it was a really weird, crazy place. And so my first thought was because people from, you know, people go there to commit suicide all the time. There's like 100 years. Really yeah, fascinating. fascinating place. And so my mind first went to, oh, that'd be a really cool place to make a horror film. And, and so I said, well, I don't, you know, I kind of want to break out of the strict genre stuff. So I don't want to do that. I want to try to think what else I can, can kind of come up with there. And so I thought of a drama. And that was it. That was the genesis of the story. Just knowing, just learning about that place uh, kind of just started me on just creating this, this, this journey between these two characters. Interesting. So one is McConaughey and one is Ken Watanabe. Mm-hmm. Um, what is, when you're working on something like that, that is for yourself, mm-hmm. Uh, what is what does your process look like? How many hours do you put in? Uh, what do what do those hours look like? Are they filled with clicking around on Facebook and cracked? And then no, no, I, I uh, you know, look, I, I think like a lot of people, I, I worked a whole bunch of just crap jobs for a long time, and I mean, I. I grew up in Providence. I still live in Providence. Yes, and we'll talk about that in a minute because yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I know the listeners want to hear about how you get to do that. <laughs> so for me, it's I'm very much outside of L.A. You know, there's not much distraction. I'm in town now. It's kind of what I do like six, seven times a year. I'll come into town and just do like the whirlwind <laughs> meetings, right? And mm-hmm. so, and during that time, I get very little writing done. Sure. You know, even if I have the time, like this morning, for example, I just, I had like an hour before my day of meeting started. I just went to Panera and sat down and this was just less productive than usual, hmm. even in an hour. Uh, so, uh, my, so I treat it, I guess what I'm saying is that like I, I, for a long time was trying to break in as a writer. So I'd always try to find time to write. Mm-hmm. And once, you know, after buried once I, I was able to flip and just do this full time and thankfully still have been able to, is all I do for a living. It's like, that's, it's, it's such a great experience to be able to, this is all I have to do to make a living and I don't have to do another job to support this one. And mm-hmm. so I guess that's my long winded way of saying I do it like eight hours a day, like a re- really? regular job. Yeah. That's great. Um, 
Are those eight hours all writing? I mean, do, are you... Is it the various stages of writing? You know, do you outline again when you're yeah. writing on when you're working on your own stuff? It's it's a little bit of both. Usually, um, you know, if it's if it's it's like a, I want to say a normal day, and if I'm already in the in the throes of writing an actual script, I'll wake up and start actually writing around like nine thirty, ten o'clock, and mm-hmm. you know, usually go to the gym around two. And then I'll, you know, between that and just kind of coming down from that, and then I'll start writing again in the evening mm-hmm. for another like three, four hours maybe. Wow. And so, but it's, 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 I feel like it's easier to do that not living in Los Angeles because that's what everybody's doing in some capacity. I mean, everyone's going to their job. They yeah. go to, you know, they go there from like nine to one and they go to lunch and then they come home. I'm mean, sorry, then they go back to work for a couple hours and they go home, you mm-hmm. know, so it's, it's kind of a normal, Working schedule, so uh, and it served me pretty well. Is I mean, is that how you've been able to escape the noise of all the other things a writer has to do, which are these endless meetings and things? I mean, mm-hmm. I would imagine even in feature. I mean, in TV, really, the meetings are nonstop. But in features, you still have a ton of meetings once a, a project is sort of picked up and rolling. Are these phone calls for yeah, you? Most and times. So, so there has to be a sort of time limit on them. I, I right. imagine it's much more efficient. It is. And, you know, Skype and everything else. I mean, look, I, so far as I've been sitting here, it sounds like, well, this is the guy that is rallying for not living in Los Angeles. <laughs> and and that's not necessarily the case. Sure. I'm just telling you my deal. Yeah. Um, you know, so as far as phone calls and everything else, yeah, those are happening throughout the day as well. And uh, But I do think that for the most part, it is, it is set to its own schedule because, because it is a phone call. Mm-hmm. It's not like you know that, that there's all this time we can move stuff around and everyone's kind of schedule has to work out in a certain way so i mean it's 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 certainly has its its own advantages and it certainly has its own disadvantages mm-hmm. i mean i i i can probably point out times that i might not have gotten an assignment that i was pitching on because i pitched it over the phone sure you know and so like those are exact examples that i say that was not that did not work to my benefit sure um interesting you know the things that I that I feel are that do work to my benefit are kind of the things I mentioned, and then and just, just if nothing else, and this this is kind of this may seem cheesy, but I don't care. Uh, is that because I don't live out here? Uh, I every time I come out and say like you know meeting a studio or whatever, I still kind of have that hey this is cool like that hooray for Hollywood mm-hmm. feeling because it's you know it's yeah. fresh every time you know there's not it's not like. This is what I'm doing every yeah. day or every every three days. I'm on a studio a lot right. because I don't live here. So it kind of <laughs> always becomes cool again. That's really great. I mean, it's it's so easy to get jaded here, sure. I feel like, because but because of all the things involved in this. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really nice to hear. Um, when you are doing these, you know, six or eight hour days of writing, how how productive are you? I mean, are you really turning out pages? How many pages can you do in... in a day of writing for me uh a day is like if i've done five days five pages i've done mm-hmm. a pretty good day yeah. uh, a really good day is like 10 yeah that's that's a lot to ask yeah yeah but that's that's script pages i mean yeah. that's to like i i outline pretty thoroughly mm-hmm. uh and so by the time i'm writing my script i'm sorry i have something in my mouth uh, by the time I'm, by the time I'm writing my actual script, I feel like I've done a lot of the heavy lifting, and that stuff mm-hmm. tends to take a little longer. Yeah, but once once final drafts open, it's all right. This is the fun part. Yeah, um, and is how many drafts do you tend to do? 
of my own. Like in other words, I say. I mean, it's weird. I mean, there's kind of like the the. You know, there's the version of of me when I was trying to break in Mm -hmm. where you could say, well, what does it even mean to do a rewrite? Because ultimately I would write a script. I would I would finish it and then say, all right, well, I'm going to do a rewrite. (laughs) I had no one to give it to. So as far as feedback and everything else, it was almost like, well, what do I do? Go back and look for grammatical errors like that. That's a rewrite, (laughs) I guess. Right. Because, you know, you can't you can't once you're done, you think, hey, this is this is this is good. Right. Right. Uh, unless someone tells you differently. So now it's kind of like when I finish something, I will still, do that. I'll still check for those grammar sure. problems. But uh, usually I'll, the first person I send it to is my manager. And mm-hmm. that's kind of my first point of contact with feedback. That's great. And and you'll get notes and then kind of start to polish from there. Yeah, I'll get notes from him before I even give it to the producers. In other words, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm giving them the strongest yeah. version of the script. That's smart. Thanks to him. Yeah. A lot of sense. Um, when you were writing for yourself, uh, let's let's kind of let's go back and talk about, you know, I'm sure like we said buried was the first uh, produced feature, but I'm mm-hmm. confident that you wrote a whole ton of things before then. Yeah, I did. You know, I I wrote just it was a constant I think as I was saying before is a constant process of just basically writing scripts typing fade out and then going um I guess I'll write fade in on a new one because wow. you know there was no this was like pre blacklist this was mm-hmm. this was just a, ter- a particular time where just there it was just the access wasn't I guess it's not still not easy but it, Something like the blacklist is probably the best example of something that's viable mm-hmm. right that, that just did not exist then right um so, you know, I, I kind of – it's easy now to look back and, and kind of romanticize it and say, oh, well, I was learning my craft, you know. But at the time, it was frustrating as hell because I was like, why am I writing this stuff other than the fact that I want this to be my career? Interesting. But no one's actually reading this stuff. Yeah, what what were you – I mean, you must have been a pretty young guy. Was this right after college or during college? Uh, both. Okay. Yeah, I think I wrote my first script when I was 19, and it was absolutely atrocious. Of course. Yeah. But you have to do that. Had to, you, you have, have to, to yeah. figure out if this is something you can even make your hand and brain do sure um so once once you had it in your head like this is something that i want to do and you're turning out this material and you know i would imagine like many of us you you think it's good mm-hmm. and you know you're living in providence right what do you do with that stuff how do you start to put it out into the world well i mean yeah that that was the toughest part is that i didn't have and i didn't have anyone in the industry i mean i come from a working class family yeah. so it's like it's not even to say I came from this family that had a, someone that worked in you know, the industry or even someone that had any kind of pull in any regard. Totally. You know, it's, it's just Which I think that's is not my a, world. Which I think is where a lot of us are. Right, you know, right. I'm, I'm, when I, I meet a lot of people who do have these connections, mm-hmm. and it always feels like, well, that's cheating a little bit. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. And that frustrated me. I mean, that, I knew those people were out there, and you always... And the thing is, you just can't get caught up in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just, it, it is what it is. It's like right. you, you have the, the, the hand you were dealt and you got to do your best with it. So uh, once I realized that, <laughs> uh, it was, you know, I, I did the entering it into contests and fellowships and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think I was a quarter finalist several, several, several years ago for the Sundance Lab. Okay, that's great. Uh, you know, but stuff like that. But that was, you know, I didn't. Again, it was at a time where it's like, you know, you, you look and you just become blinded by all the contests and competition. So I never really got sucked into that too much, probably because yeah. I didn't have the money to. Uh, but uh, the, the one thing that happened was, you know, when I li- I did live out here, actually. I lived out here for almost two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back, like, almost, I don't know, as long as time ago. But uh, as an actor. 
And so oh, no it was during that time that I started writing. Moved back to the East Coast uh, to finish school, mm-hmm. finish college. And, uh, and so then <laughs> with the goal of moving back home, going to finish college, then drive back out to L.A., which I did. And so now I drive back cross country. I get here on September uh, 10th, 2001, so the day before September 11th. I get there the night before I wake oh, up on September Lord. 11th. Uh, and, and as we know, like the world was just a, just a crazy place at that point, and LA certainly was a crazy place. Yeah. Uh, so there was nothing happening. So if uh, that was the same time, like right after when the anthrax scare happened. Mm-hmm. So as an actor, this was again, this was kind of the early days of the internet and everything else for the most part. So people weren't sending out headshot submissions via digital. It was all hard copies. That's right. So now here are the anthrax scare. <laughs> people are afraid to open their mail. So headshots. No one's even opening your headshots. So I'm not getting any auditions. By this point, I had started to, when I was back in Rhode Island, I started to write more hmm. because there wasn't much film or TV acting to be done there. And uh, so I said, you know, the hell with this. This is crazy. I mean, I don't know. I can't just, this can't be my life. I have no idea when this is going to change and everything else. So I basically said, all right, I'm going to move home and I'm going to make my own film. I'm going to write my own hmm. script for my own film and I'm going to star in it, produce it, do everything but cater it. Right. Uh, and I had no business doing that because I didn't go to film school or anything else like that. And at that point, I kind of had maybe a 50% understanding of how to write a script, <laughs> even though I'd been Amazing. doing it. Uh, and, uh, and that's, but that's what I did. And, and that's no what way. got me uh, in touch with my manager, was that movie. How did your horrible. manager even see it? Well, once I was done, I just went through the Hollywood creative directory and the representation directory sure. and just started sending out query letters saying, I made this film. I'd love for you to check it out. And, oh, interesting. Because and, and, that was before something could live online and people yeah, could go check it out. No such thing as yeah. Vimeo or stuff like that back then, or even YouTube. This was pre, pre-YouTube, yeah. I think. Yeah, it was. And so... Uh, so yeah, so then, you know, of the like 75 or whatever query letters I sent out, I might've heard back from a percentage, maybe like, a, like yeah. five of them. And of that five, I think three watched the movie and of that three, I think two liked it and he was one <laughs> of them. And so, so that started a dialogue, uh, not unlike the, the one I'm having, well, basically a monologue. I've been talking so much right now at this point. This is how we do it. Okay. <laughs> I just realized, God, you've been talking a long time. You're the only one here. All right. <laughs> uh, so so anyway, so that started that my, he did not sign me off of that, but he was like, mm-hmm. Hey, I like this, you know, what else are you working sure. on? And so that for me was like, Hey, this is possible to yeah. get these Hollywood types to actually pay attention and maybe like want to see other stuff I'm working on. And so what happened was every script that I wrote after that I sent to him mm-hmm. and he liked every one of them well enough to say, this is really good. It's not the right one, but let's keep talking. And That's that went on for really like three cool. years. Wow. Yeah. That that you could that he would maintain that dialogue for three years is really I mean that speaks highly of him and of you. Yeah. Well, of, certainly of him. I don't know about me, but certainly <laughs> well, of him. the work. I mean, he obviously was responding to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this film that you made yourself, yeah. How did you even go about it? I mean, as you said, no no film background. You didn't right. go to school for it. You were obviously a movie fan, mm-hmm, so sure. you had internalized a lot of the way things are supposed to look and the way a script might look and feel. Right. Um, but how did you start to put that together and, and how long was it? What was, what was it even about? So it was, it was about this guy. Well, this guy is turning 25 and he was kind of this misanthrope and just didn't felt like he never accomplished anything in his life. And he's, really coddled by his parents and everything else and never accomplished anything. So he decides on his 25th birthday, he's kind of done nothing with his life. He's just going to, he's going to kill himself. All right. And so he tells his parents this 
And them just being the coddling parents that they are tell him, oh, they think it's a great idea. And they're very supportive <laughs> of that idea. And so he ends up meeting a girl who lives two houses down from him, never knew it. But he ends up meeting her and takes out this new lease on life and doesn't want to end his life, but now feels like he has no choice because he's told everyone that he's going to kill himself. And right. he's like, I have to at least be successful at one <laughs> thing in my life. Uh, so it was a – the thing is, it's – the movie itself was so overly uh, – truly ambitious as far as what it entailed. I mean, I had way too big of a cast. I had <laughs> way too many locations. I had way too little money to do all those things. The movie got finished, ended up on Netflix for a little while. I don't know how. That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Uh, and Is it a feature length? It's a feature, movie? yeah. Holy shit. I mean, I had no idea. I basically just like learned by reading, like, all right, well, I, I don't, no one ever taught me this stuff, so I guess I'll just teach myself. And just started reading as many books as I could mm-hmm. and everything else. And, and bear in mind, this is in Rhode Island. And this, so this was – and by this point, this was like 10 years ago. Yeah. So this was when – you know, this was when the technology isn't what it is now. So like it's it, – money goes, I feel, much further these sure. days for, because of the technology. And so, you know, my, my cast was – you know, it was a mix of actors and people that just were friends and family. My crew was kind of the people that had went down from someone that had some experience to none at all. And it just became this, I don't know. I mean, I had to get it finished, and, and thankfully I did. But that's it's unbelievable. Finishing it didn't make it good, <laughs> sure. but it, 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 I finished but it. But that's, yeah, absolutely. Right. And especially at that time in your life and in your maturity as a writer and a producer, just finishing it goes a long way. I mean, I think people tend to get sort of precious about the work and work it and work it and work it. But just doing the stuff is, I find, a much greater learning experience. Well, it was. I mean, like I said, the whole point of doing it, I didn't have any grand illusions that this was going to be Mm -hmm. this big Sundance hit or anything else like that. I just wanted somebody to see it. The whole reason why I did it in the first place was because I needed to take my career into my own hands. Because, like I said, I was out in L.A. saying, I have no idea what's happening. So my hope was that someone would see any aspect of that movie and what I was doing in it. So, all right, say, hey, he's a good actor, or hey, this is a good script, or hey, he's a good director, something. <laughs> hey, but this guy can produce a movie. Any of those things and say, well, let's let's try to work with this guy. Sure. And so it accomplished what I wanted it to do, ultimately, and it was for me as a writer. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the lessons I didn't really understand that I had learned until I wrote Buried, because that was me saying, all right, well, I Everything I did wrong with that movie, I can't do with this one. Hmm. Uh, so Buried, for me, was going to be my next feature that I did. It was going to be something that I made for, like, five grand. Mm-hmm. And Which it was, absolutely makes sense. Yeah, it's like, well, how do I make a $5,000 movie? And I made the conscious decision to not make a found footage film mm-hmm. and said, well, how do I do that now? And so I was like, well, clearly I can't do what I did last time. And so I said, all right, well, I want as few characters and as few locations as humanly possible. And that was Buried. That's wild. Um, but in the interim, you know, you were turning out these scripts, sending them to this manager mm-hmm. that you had this conversation going with. Uh, what were you learning about writing in that time, and what kinds of scripts were those? I was so early on. Uh, I was always writing uh, comedies. Really? Yeah. And was that the stuff that you just responded to I as a viewer? So. I think so. I Maybe mean, not just a viewer, but also just to say. I think because I really didn't know the craft early on, it just seemed like, well, 
I, I, I feel like I was able to just I could get by on writing some funny hmm. scenes. Sure. Right. And and, it, and it, it served me fairly well. So it seemed like that was the right path. But it wasn't until I completely changed tax and, and wrote a thriller that things actually started to work for me. And uh, I, I mean, I don't know if there's a lesson there or not. But just well, why do you think that was? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I, maybe a maybe I didn't know the craft yet, like I said. Mm-hmm. And b maybe I'm not as funny as I thought I was. <laughs> or c maybe I'm just a better thriller writer than I am a comedy writer. I, mm-hmm. I honestly don't know. It could mm-hmm. be a combination of those. Interesting. Um, so so when did the thriller come? You know, how many scripts in roughly, or how many years in? Several. I after I did uh, after I made my feature, I made a short, and that was a thriller. Okay. And so I just kind of looked at it, and it was just a, it was a really different experience, and uh, and I liked it. You mm-hmm. know, so it wasn't something that I said I don't want to do that again. And so when I set out to make a feature, I said I wanted to do a thriller, and and plus the other thing too is you know just lessons you learn along the way about comedy, how it doesn't translate into the foreign mm-hmm. markets and everything else like that. So I wanted to make something that at least had a prayer. In that in that world, mm-hmm. uh, of maybe making some money back. Interesting. Uh, so I, I I went down that road, and uh, you know the good thing is, you know, very good thing I guess is that it ended up taking on a much bigger life. So it didn't become a five thousand dollar movie. Right. It became a a big like, <laughs> studio released movie. Yeah. You know. Yeah. How, so how did that happen? So how did I that start to get traction. So as I said, once I'm sure I, you've told us a thousand times. I, it's okay. So I it's okay. Uh, and I, no, I apologize more to the people that have heard it. <laughs> uh, let me say it a bunch of times. Uh, so it's it was something like I said. So after after my manager, who wasn't my manager mm-hmm. at the time, saw my feature, said, "Keep you know, let's keep right. in touch." So script after script after script, I sent him. And then for whatever reason, I didn't send him the script for Buried. Hmm. So I'm about six months into kind of pre-production on my $5,000 version of Buried. That's probably going to shoot in my apartment at the time. And and I, I was like, you know, I'm not going to send it to him because I've worked so hard to cultivate this relationship. I don't want to ruin it by sending this Hollywood guy my guy in a box movie. No right? way. So I didn't send it. And then one night... I, I just, I think I'd like, I always say it's like this Jerry Maguire moment where you just kind of lose it, right? And I just said, to hell with it. I'm just going to send it to him if it ruins it because I don't know where my career is going. I don't know. This is uh, so on and so forth. And so I sent it to him. And about two days later, I heard back from him saying like, oh my God, like, what are you doing with the script? And I was like, this is crazy, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I don't know. I was planning on making it. He said, all right, well, would you be, would you be willing to go out with it as a spec? You know, if you can give up directing. And, wow. and of course I was like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so he ended up signing me off that, and then got me my agent and everything else. And then the script just went out, and and then I was here. Like for the first time ever of the week of meetings was right. that was like I guess by this point five six years ago, and That's it was wild. it just was I, I couldn't. I mean, it was really whirlwind. There was just people that wanted various people that wanted to make the movie. What do you think people responded to in it? Probably the. I mean, maybe they, I mean, I'm hoping it's because they like, they like <laughs> you were going to yeah. say the budget. I, well, you? <laughs> I am. I am going to say that, but I, I am hoping it's partly because they actually liked it. But uh, I think the budget, mm-hmm. I think they saw the potential of making a movie that at least on, on the page worked. Uh, and then that could be done, you know, for, for a price, you know, that for inexpensive one at that, hmm. I think for my reps, even that early on, I, I don't think they actually expected it to be made. Really? Yeah. I think they thought. Let's get this thing around town. Let's just introduce you to the town as a sure. new writer, and it'll be a good writing sample, and hopefully it amounts to something uh, in that way for assignments. But uh, but Peter Peter Safran, the guy who ultimately produced it, it was it was a crazy week because in the course of just generals and everything else, I also had 
I had several meetings about the project and mm-hmm. met with different people that were saying, you know, we're, we were potentially interested in making this movie. And every one of them had different changes. And it was, let's cut to this, let's cut to that, let's have them get out of the box halfway through, uh, let's change the ending, all these various things. And, and it was a weird position to be in because here it is, I've been working for like 10 years at that point to catch a break. And these yeah. people are saying this, so I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty much willing to do whatever they say. I'm like, sure, sure, let's, <laughs> let's, whatever, let's throw a clown in there with them. I don't care, right. whatever you want. Uh, but in the back of my mind, I'm still saying, yeah, but it's kind of cool in its own way if he never gets out. I've never seen that movie. I've seen other movies of people buried alive, mm-hmm. but it's always cutting to this and to that. It never stays there the whole movie. So at the, it's now the end of that week, and I sit down with Peter Safran. And it was interesting because all the other people I met are dressed like you and I are right now, just like flannels, <laughs> normal, right? Peter has this like almost like a suit and tie on. And, uh, and so I was intimidated by him right out, right out of the gate. But he sat down and he said, Chris, he goes, I, I, I love your script. I'm almost like verbatim here. I love your script. I, don't, I know the perfect director to do it. I don't want to change a thing about it. And I could have it in production in six months. And it's exactly what happened. Exactly. Wow. That's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Let me. This is a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Knowing uh, that you were going to make this yourself, and you, were you going to star in it also? No, I was not. Oh, okay. No. All right. Then never mind. Okay. <laughs> I was because I was curious of like watching. You got to see this the final version of this, which is so exciting. Mm-hmm. And then uh, to think, oh, I, w- I would have done something differently. <laughs> well, no, you know, it's, I made that decision early on. Let's talk about like the lessons learned from the first movie. Is that I just took on too much, even in that yeah. regard. I mean, I would. In that first movie, I would be like, all right, after doing all the producing duties and all the directing duties, I would sit down and say, all right, well, what are my lines? And that's, that's absurd. Right. You know? And so I was like, that can't happen this time. So it wasn't so much that, to answer your question. Mm-hmm. It was much as watching it from a directorial standpoint. Yeah. And, I mean, truth be told, I think Rodrigo Cortez, who directed mm-hmm. it, I mean, he, he – I'm still learning that craft, I sure. feel. You know? and, and he took the movie to a level I would not have been able to, period, yeah. as a director. Well, yeah. I mean, you you didn't you hadn't done what he had done. Sure. You, know, you didn't. Right. You weren't there yet. Um, are you? Is it something you're still interested in? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, something I did uh, last summer. I directed my first feature with Peter Safran, mm-hmm. which I think you said this will be out in January. Yes. That just should be the movie should be coming out. January. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, it's called the Atticus Institute. Yes, I was reading a little bit about this. Tell me about it. All I saw was that you made it and yeah. the title. Uh, uh, what type of a film is it? Where did it Where did it come from for you? It uh, it's it's about the only government or governmentally. I've been so confused if governmentally is a word on some websites it is some it isn't so i'll use both government confirmed governmentally confirmed case of possession so wow. what ends up happening is that so it's it's a documentary format mm-hmm. so we're we're talking to people present day who are now in like their 60s and mm-hmm. 70s and they're reflecting on, on back on what took place back in 1976 so they worked at this sci lab this parapsychology lab testing people for ESP and telekinetic abilities, stuff like that. And so they had their share of people that were fairly, you know, interesting and statistically significant and all those other things. And then came this woman, Judith Winstead, who just started testing off the charts. And she's very strange, but they're like, well, we always deal with strange people, so it's not a big deal. But she's extra strange. And she's just testing all of those categories. She's just off the charts. Mm -hmm. And they realized then that, that it was above their pay grade. So they ended up bringing in uh, someone from the Department of Defense who studied her and everything else and confirmed that she had these abilities. 
But they also confirmed as they continued to test her and as they were kind of pushing more and more, she kind of pushed back more and more, is that the source of these abilities came from somewhere dark hmm. and that, she, in fact, she's possessed. So what ends up happening is that the government, once they, once they realize that, the Department of Defense attempts to weaponize the oh, possession. Indeed. And use it as a it's like a psychotronic weapon, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, and so that's I mean that's that's really the long version of that's the, really cool of the synopsis. Yeah. What uh, what made this the one for you to direct? Well, because you know it's interesting because it, it's and I, I know this isn't unique to me. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are facing this at various points in their careers. Like there's. You know, as I said before, I didn't want to just stay in the category of being the guy that wrote the small movies, mm-hmm. right? I, I mean, I didn't get into this to just kind of, like, level off and be complacent. Like, I, I got in this to, you know, to win it, you know, <laughs> to, to really to go for it. So the same thing with uh, with directing. What happened was, you know, with a lot of scripts I had moving and, and, and things, you know, things I'd written where it's like, well, maybe this is one for me to direct. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was never met by, no, 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 that's can't happen. It was more like, oh, that, that's a good idea. Or this, you know, mm-hmm. this is the right size and scope for you to be, have your first, like, true feature. Mm-hmm. And, but, and then I kept finding that as we get closer and closer to the movie becoming real, it was always like, mm, yeah, but it's just going to get your technically first time director. Right. And, it's really going to be tough to get the financing and everything else to get the actors attached. And it just became that. And I understood that. It's not like I'm saying that right. with any animosity. I'm just saying I, I just had to change that. Mm-hmm. So essentially I had to make a film if I wanted to be able to ever be able to make a film. Mm-hmm. So I conceived of the Atticus Institute uh, as kind of uh, as kind of the answer to that. Or something I knew. I said, well, I want to make something that's of a particular genre that can be done for a particular budget mm-hmm. that I, is a really difficult thing for a financier to say no to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and that's kind of what happened. So I, I kind of used that as, as the guide and, and, and just conceived of the story in, in, the, in, the, in the fashion that I did. And, present, and again, just met with Peter Safran, mm-hmm. who's, by this point, I, the, at that point, I've already done two movies with. This would have been Atticus is the third. So it was an easy conversation to say, just, so there was no pressure. It was just, hey, I really want to do this. Do you want to be involved in this and everything else? Because I'd love no one more than you to be the one that's, that's producing mm-hmm. this. And we talked about it, and, and by the end of that meeting, he was like, we're doing it. We're in pre-production now. <laughs> that's great. And then it happens. Um, were, there, were there storytelling challenges that were different as a director than as a writer? Uh, I don't know if there were storytelling challenges. There were the things that I found uh, that that I found unexpected were just I think more to do with the people management of hmm. directing. I think it wasn't you know I I, I feel that I don't think they're necess- they're necessarily uh, mutually exclusive to say like you're a writer or you're a director. Sure. I feel like you've already. As a writer, whether you even want to be a director or not, I feel like you've already directed the movie in your head. So I don't think it's like a huge jump to go and then direct the film you wrote. Maybe someone else's, it's a bit of a different mm-hmm. experience. But something you wrote yourself, to me, it's you've already directed, edited it, cast it, everything in your head. Uh, so uh, so that part to me wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't shocking as much as just being on set and, you know, kind of people coming up to you and with questions that... They want answers for. That's mm-hmm. what I learned in like the first, <laughs> second day. It was like they, someone's coming to you because they they want an answer. They don't want you to just say it doesn't matter. You choose. If they're coming to you, I found it's because they want you to tell them no. Let's make let's choose the red water bottle instead right. of the green one. Even though in your head you're going, I don't give a shit which right. color it is. <laughs> uh, 
So that was, I think it was stuff like that, the constant decision making. Uh, that to me was the was a little uh, a little unexpected. Interesting. Yeah. Um, did you find that the story didn't so much change, but were you executing the movie in your head that you had written as you were directing it and, and editing it as well? On when it came to actually shooting it, I mean, I was faced with the, the dilemma that I think a lot of uh, people are uh, is where it's like we just don't have time. Hmm. You know, there's a scene. There's just no time for this scene. And one in particular, it it, it was like, no, what I want, I really need this scene to be in the movie. I think it's a great scene and everything else. And what it involved is we had we shot the movie at Linda Vista Hospital here in L.A., mm-hmm. which is torn down now. But it was this old hospital. Yeah. It's, you know, people have used it for horror movies and everything else. But we we didn't really use it for that. We bu- used it as just a, somewhere to build a set. Mm-hmm. So we built our lab inside this just big empty room. and And so now to get... To bring in this particular item, this large item we needed for the scene I wanted to do would have been moving, Hmm. taking down one of the walls, bringing that in. And my AD is like, we just don't have time to do it. So I kind of made a game time decision to just – it involved two booths. Just Mm -hmm. picture two phone booths, if you will. I kind of made the game time decision to just use the one phone booth. Not like Hmm. it was this ingenious idea. It was more like, (laughs) no, I I want this scene and what can we do? And uh, So it was a – you know that was there were there were moments like that that didn't work out exactly as as I had envisioned or even as they were storyboarded. Mm-hmm. They just didn't look the same. Sure. Uh, but then in the edit, that's when the, the the movie really took on a different life than say the scripts. Mm-hmm. That's where a lot of big changes came into play. Interesting. Um, was it was that difficult for you? No, no, because I think at that point you're just in search of the best movie possible. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not about your script anymore. It's yeah. about the movie. So it's. No, I didn't. I didn't find that discouraging at all. I mean, I, I saw the things that I wrote now executed not working. So it's like, well, that can't stay in the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't well, care who wrote it. That, yeah. that sucks. Well, it's great to have that distance. I yeah, mean, sure. Oftentimes, people can't. Um, let me let's just jump back for a second. As you were, you know, as we said, you were a film fan growing up. What was the stuff that got you hooked? And and clearly very early on, you were hooked in in a way that was like, I want to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember what that film or TV show or whatever it was? Uh, for me, it was, I mean, I, I think the first movie I saw in the theaters was, uh, I was extremely young, was, uh, was Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I think more so, I mean, I obviously I, I just loved going to the movies just like anybody else watching TV in the 80s, just like any other kid at that age. Uh, I, I never, you know, I, and maybe this is partly to do with the fact that I didn't go to film school, is that I don't really have, and I wish I did in some regard, I wish I had more of an appreciation for the classic films, mm-hmm. but I just, that's not really the films I'm into. I mean, I just, I, I've, I've had this discussion with, with various people, and, 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 it's, and I'm probably going to draw the ire of some, some people by saying this, but I feel like... It's kind of like sports, where you could look at you look at basketball, right? For example, you look at Bob Cousy. Bob Cousy at his time was the best point guard in the NBA. Bob Cousy today probably couldn't <laughs> play like D three basketball right. in college, right? Because people get better and things get better over mm-hmm. time. You learn from those people as great as they were. You learn sure. from them. Now you have you know the like, game evolved. The game evolves, and I feel like movies have evolved. Mm-hmm. So it's it's if you take out the context and just compare apples to apples, sure. it's like that movie that just came out last week is a hundred times better than that supposedly <laughs> amazing movie that came out in 1943. It just is. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm watching, if I watch The Creature from the Black Lagoon, that's just not scary. At the time, that was terrifying to people, but now it's just mm-hmm. not. It's laughable. 
So uh, I'm going a little off topic here. But anyway, so uh, what I'm saying is that so the movies I kind of grew up on loving were movies like Predator. Mm-hmm. You know, the big blockbuster films and, and sure. the, the early Batman movies and everything else. Uh, so I think that is what, you know, that's how I fell in love with watching the movie, you know, the, the whole, you know, I guess Hollywood, mm-hmm. if you will. But it was weird because how I how I really, I guess, uh, became became a fan of the idea of making movies was that my 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 best friend, his older brother was in a film program. It was a very small program at a college in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And, this, and he was older than us by like maybe eight years or so. And I remember being about 12, and he had the little Super 8 camera that he was doing a, a, this little short film for, sure. for school, silent film. And I thought it was the coolest thing. And I mean, they were, they were like VHS camcorders mm-hmm. then, so it's not that it was a whole foreign thing. But just something about this little camera and it being like, that's a movie camera. Like, that's something really different. Yeah. Uh, and it was that, in a way, was what started me down the path of wanting to do this. It truly, it truly did. Interesting. Um, did you know in what aspect you wanted to do it? I mean, you said you wanted to act, but yeah. clearly you wanted to just do all the stuff. You wanted to be a part of it. Yeah, I wanted to do. I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to. You know, I think acting was the most accessible thing for me, mm-hmm. given especially where I lived at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was able to do plays around there and everything sure. else. So I was able to do that. And it's just that. And then, as far as like film and television acting, there was some stuff to do, like in the Boston area and mm-hmm. everything else. So that was the you know the, the the barriers to entry were fewer in that in that way. But then I just realized, hey, you know, there's there's such a thing as a screenplay and, and it would be cool to write one of those. And like I said, I, I wrote my first when I was in college mm-hmm. and I kind of just, that, I guess that's the beauty of screenwriting in general is that you don't, you don't need anything, you know, you need a pad and a pen, I yeah. guess, uh, versus even as an actor, you at least need a, a theater or you need a, a camera yeah. or something, unless you're just a crazy person <laughs> like, just talking to yourself on the street. Uh, so, so it was kind of like, well, this is this is interesting to me too. Mm-hmm. I don't know how talented of a writer I am, but I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just kind of gave myself the ultimatum of, well, you have a you have the school year. So over the course of the school year, just kind of chip away at this thing hmm. and be done with it by the end of the year. And I was. How did you did you go up to you know Harvard Square and find that store that had the old the scripts and that, like how did you know I, what these are supposed to look I like? I found it. I found it in the I believe the library of my college. I went to. Yeah. I I didn't graduate from Northeastern, but mm-hmm. um, I ended up graduating from school in Rhode Island. But I went to Northeastern. Oh, okay. And in their library, I think I found the Colin Hogg. Mm-hmm. The, the, if I'm pronouncing that properly, the uh, the like the format book. Yeah. So, but I didn't know. I mean, like to put it in perspective, I remember getting Sid Field's book too, mm-hmm. and they were both books. There was the book in screenplay, and there was also like how to sell your screenplay, mm-hmm. and and which one did I read first? <laughs> how to sell your screenplay. I mean, like that just speaks That's to great. you know, like just where I had so little that the little I knew at that point. I was so green. I didn't even know. I was like, That's well, really I'll read funny. this. Is important. Is there? You know, you're you're getting a lot of opportunities now, and you know, working hard and <laughs> and often. Um, are there ones that are still getting away? Are there stories that either you can't get down or that you can't sell? Over the years, I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, there have been a couple scripts that I've written that just you say, well, I guess, I, I guess it's dead. I mean, I'll, I mean, they all seem like zombies because they never are officially dead. There's sure. always a chance for them to come back to life, and sometimes they do, at least for, even just for just a day. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, there were a few that I, I look back at and say, yeah, I think I still think there's something there. I, I mean, the climate wasn't right for it then, but maybe mm-hmm. it is now. 
Um, and then there's one. I mean, this is this is a trickier place to be in because now I have the script that I'm writing for me. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be my next directing project, but it'll be a directing project for me. That's kind of my passion thing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's an, almost a companion piece to, to Sea of Trees. It's not related, but it's mm-hmm. kind of in that same vein. And it's it's weird because I've been – it's like back to the old version because I'm writing ass- – I'm doing assignment work, which, again, very grateful for, to be doing that, sure. to be getting paid. But now I'm trying to find steal time to work on that. And it's like the same process again. Instead of working a normal job and stealing time, I'm working a screenwriting <laughs> job and stealing time to, to, write, to, a screenplay. Work, to write a screenplay. Yeah. That's uh, interesting. Um, is it is there you in these scripts? Like do you do you exist in these scripts or are these idea based? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. I, I think mostly they're idea based, but I think I, I think there's probably a piece of me in in, mm-hmm. in a lot of scripts that I've written. I mean, there's if it's if it's I don't know if it's something more to do with the, the character's kind of internal struggles or something like that, or if it's something where even dialogue. You know, there's 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 dialogue in the Sea of Trees that that I mean, there, there's um you know the husband and wife character that in the course of them arguing, my wife I remember she read the script, she's like. We've said those things, and I'm like, yeah, and we kind of have, you know. It's so it's it's you know it's not as though I'm just tape recording my my arguments with my wife and saying, well, let's make great dialogue. Uh, but I mean, I think I think certain things stick with you, and I think that there needs to be a part of you. I do. I think there should be a part of you in what you write because otherwise, it's, you're very detached from it. Sure, you're like an observer. But do, generally, when you're ramping up to something new, that's not an assignment. Um, does it come from the idea down and then you start to explore how the story could be told or does it come from a moment does it come from a character i think um well i mean i think it's different for me i've kind of gotten more and more into tv in the past year Mm -hmm. and so with that world it seems to be more about figuring out the character you know as as you know very well uh and so but with the feature stuff i think it's really about an idea i'll just be driving and Mm -hmm. be like oh that'd be a cool idea for a movie and then i'll kind of run up the flagpole and see who salutes and you know and 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 that seems to be the the uh, the approach I take. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, for features, it's it's not often that I'll come up with just a character mm-hmm. and build a world around that character. That makes sense, absolutely. Um, and so, when when you do have one of these ideas that you know the manager or someone else mm-hmm. says, yeah, that's worth exploring. What are your next steps? Uh, I'm really curious about like what is the physical action <laughs> that yeah. happens when you are starting to figure out a movie. So if it's something of my own, like if mm-hmm. it's my own idea, uh, it's, you know, the process is usually, I mean, say like I'll use Sea of Trees as an example. It was, all right, well, I know that place exists. Well, let me read more about that place. Mm-hmm. Let me, um, you know, let me read some about Japanese culture. And, you know, I think I think research is very important, if, especially if it's something foreign to you. Uh, I think it's very possible to get mired in that and then all of a sudden start treating research, like pretending you're writing when, in fact, you're just kind of spinning your wheels, pretending to do research. Uh, but at the same time, I think so. That's usually a part of it, and and then it's you know I'll, I'll kind of do what most people do. I'll just do like the two to three page synopsis, mm-hmm. see what it looks like, see kind of what that feels like, and then I'll do a character breakdown to give you know flesh those people out a little further, main characters. Uh, and then and then if I feel comfortable with that, I'll usually I'll go into the beat sheet mm-hmm. and kind of beat out the, the the larger beats of the story. And then and then if that's still working, it'll be. Uh, 
it will uh, I'll, I'll do it like a step outline like scene by scene sure. of the movie and that's thorough so I mean I feel like by that point I've written a point five draft absolutely yeah yeah and and it's this incremental growing process where yeah. you're discovering what happens and who these people are in the world that's yeah. interesting yeah um, tell me about uh, the TV stuff what has been going on how has TV been treating you. It's been, you know, it's it's been an, a bit of an eye-opening thing. I uh, I have a project now that I, I, by the time this comes out, I probably it could not be a secret anymore. Uh, but everybody's so secretive about things. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, but, that is true. <laughs> but uh, there is a project I'm doing now uh, that is. Uh, I'm, I actually just turned into the producers yesterday. The uh, a pilot script. Pilot script. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for a series for. Uh, a network, a cable <laughs> network, and so it's it's something I really really hope goes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for a number of reasons. And um, but in that same way, I've had now two projects that didn't go. Mm-hmm. So I've written two pilots that it's like, wow, this is really cool. And then especially with the first go around, where it's like, wait a minute, what do you mean it's dead? What do you mean like if this doesn't get made, it's now you can't do anything else with yeah, this? It's weird. It's, it's, so it was so that to me was the difference, the major difference between feature writing and TV writing, where it's kind of mm-hmm. like. There's this mad dash of like, as you know, like every, it's like, well, we have to get this thing done. We have to go, okay, great. Get like phone calls nonstop from producers. And how about we just change this one word, like down to that. And, and then all of a sudden, if it doesn't get picked up, it's just done. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like all of a sudden they expect the tumbleweeds to go by because the phone stopped ringing, ringing. And, uh, so it was, uh, I think, I mean, naturally the good part about that is you still get paid. You know, I Sorry. mean, so there's there's really no lose in that situation, <laughs> except for that you created something that just died on the vine. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's 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 if there's any loss there, it's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, uh, like I mean, that's that's like a high class problem. You're getting paid to sure. write. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, that's, and you can show your friends. I'd love to get there. <laughs> it's still a bummer when it doesn't. Yeah. it doesn't happen. Uh, the first, the two things that uh, you sold that did not go mm-hmm. were these ideas that you brought to Studio or Network. One was uh, one was one that I came up with and I brought to the network. One was one that was brought to me. It was uh, Stephen King uh, short story adaptation. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Can you say what it was? It was called Ayana. Okay. Yeah, and it seems as though it's dead. I think they still may be trying to kick it around, like trying to get something going, but I mean, I don't know. Interesting. Um, how did you... So I'm specifically curious about the one that you brought to you brought out. Um, mm-hmm. I assume you pitched it or did you spec it? I pitched it. You did pitch yeah, it. Yeah, that was a unique situation because I didn't have any producers involved. It was just me. Mm-hmm. And I pitched it over the phone. Oh, really? Yeah, from Rhode Island. To networks. To networks. Wow. And I... I guess they just liked the idea well enough enough to say, yeah, let's do it. That's great. So, um, but, oh man, I can't imagine. I've had to pitch over the phone a couple of times, and it's never fun. No, it's not. <laughs> well, because you can picture in your head, you can picture the conference table with that exactly. little weird thing in the side, that like, <laughs> yes, conference that device, Star Trek thing, yeah, whatever that thing is. It looks <laughs> like it's going to run off the table, and and uh, and you just, you know that they're at times not really paying attention and so as you're doing this you're just picturing that in your head <laughs> in the room you can command people's attention by at least making eye contact <laughs> yes you guilt them into paying attention yeah they have no no choice <laughs> but to pay attention if you stare at them um, so how how did that pitch go how long was the pitch how short could you keep it and still be it wasn't long pitch? it wasn't that flesh yeah it was it was pretty to the point yeah. i mean i think i might have told him like, i don't have like a full full pitch here this is like what i have and this is the world and oh, these are the characters and everything else and i mean i wasn't i mean again it's like just like anything else the first time 
uh, you experience something, you're not quite sure what to make of it. Mm -hmm. And so I get off that call and they were like, that's great. Let's do this. And I was like, excellent. Let's do this. <laughs> what does that actually mean? Like, yeah. I mean, and so I, I called up my, my, my television agent. I was like, look, man, I think I just sold a show. <laughs> and he's like, are you sure? I, I said, I think so. And they said, let's do it. And he goes, all right, let me call over there, find out. Oh and he called me back. He's like, yeah, you sold the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. This is not how it's supposed to go. Um, and yet the vagaries yeah, right. are always right. how it goes. <laughs> um, so then this other thing, the uh, the Stephen King adaptation, mm -hmm. um, were you kind of out saying, I'm available to write a pilot? Who wants me? Uh, yeah, so well, the producers approached me okay. with it. Uh, and that's, by the way, that's there's two other TV things that I've pitched mm -hmm. that didn't get anything. So in right. other words, like, just went around pitching them and just never got any, sure. any nibbles, and I never got paid to write a thing. Yeah. So, and, and you still, I imagine, worked up the pitches. Oh, yeah. Like, it's I mean, a, lot a lot of work. Lot. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of work is right. Um, how did you find that kind of pitching uh, compared to feature pitching features? I think it's it's a little daunting to try to to try to map out a series. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I, I mean I don't know, but I would have to imagine that a lot of shows that have been on the air for a long time, they're and say they're in their like fifth sixth season. That they're different than what they were pitched as, you know. They've just kind of they followed the the flow of, of what yeah. seemed right as opposed to what they set out of to course. do. Uh, so it's, you know, I, I I found that a little that's a little tough to say what in six years is going to be going yeah. on in a series. And yet it's something that the buyers want to hear. Yeah, uh, and and I'm not sure why. I mean, I think everybody knows the practicalities of it. Is you know you you roll with what you're given and sure. this thing is a moving train and you deal with actors leaving or coming on or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah, it's it's an it's a strange, <laughs> strange thing. Yeah. Um, have you pitched? So you've pitched um, features, I imagine, in person as well as on the phone. Yeah, I have, but I haven't pitched. I mean, most of the pitches I've done have been for assignments. Mm -hmm. Like I I think I could probably count on on. Two fingers, maybe. Really? <laughs> the amount of things I just pitch to try to sell as a pitch. You generally spec them yeah. first. Yeah. Um, I am always uh, curious, though, about like pitching on an uh, assignment. Because mm -hmm. these are the ones where they bring in a bunch of writers, and you're yeah. saying, here's my take on this. Yeah. Um, when has that worked for you? When has that not worked for you? Yeah, that's... that's <laughs> there was, no, that's... No, the reason why I'm shaking my head, because there was a period where... I. You know, like a lot of these things are coming in, which mm -hmm. is great, you know, because it's like yeah. there are certainly times where not so many are coming in. Sure. And you're kind of like, whoa, why is the phone not ringing? And I think there was a period maybe like three years ago or so where I was like a dog chasing cars, which is not a good approach where it's no. like it's going after this assignment, this assignment, this assignment. And when in reality, it's like I should have just taken about half of that number sure. and focused my, my pitches. And so it's like I was pitching for a lot of stuff and just not getting the jobs. Mm -hmm. Was it? Was the reason you were pitching for a lot of stuff, was it the feeling that, like, who knows when this will come again? Or were you genuinely interested in all of these things? Or, or you know, like, where, where did that come from from you? Yeah, I mean, it's if, if I if I 100% thought this is not for me and mm -hmm. I don't even get it, or I, I wouldn't, that's all right, okay. But, you know, I think because I, I started from where I started, that, excuse me, that, it was like trying for so long, like 10 years, trying to get a break. And all of a sudden, you get that break. And now everybody, you go from one day being the guy that can't even get your stuff read to the guy all of a sudden or the girl all of a sudden that everybody says, oh, yeah, I want to meet with that person. Yeah. And I want to tell them what projects we have. And it's overwhelming. So it's like a psychological shift that's tough to kind of, to, to, to kind of deal with in a way. Mm -hmm. 
And, and so kind of in that earlier period now, when all these assignments were coming through, I was like hungry, just like I, I've always been. I was like, I, I, want to, I don't want to miss right. an opportunity. I want to go after all of them. But as I said, it's just you can only – the human brain's only capable of so much, and mine's probably less capable than <laughs> most people's, quite honestly. So it's like I, I think I, I pay short shrift to to some of these Mm-hmm. Assignments and maybe that's why. Maybe that's why I didn't sure. get them. You couldn't bear down on any one and give yeah. it a kind of full take on. It. Of course, I yeah. think we've all been there. So the ones that you were able to, uh, was it a conscious decision to kind of pull back and say these are the things I'm interested in, and then what made those pitches successful? I think, uh, I think that was part of it. I think it was kind of pulling back a little bit. And I don't recall if it was me consciously pulling back or just the phone stopped ringing as much. <laughs> so. Uh, the first assignment I got, and this was the one that was that got me in the union, actually, because okay. ATM and Buried uh, were both non-WGA. Oh, really? Yeah. How did that happen? Well, because Buried was a Spanish co-production, and so it shot in Spain, uh-huh. so it was outside of the, oh, the auspices wow. of the, the Guild, I guess. I didn't, I didn't realize they could do that. <laughs> they, they did. Uh, so that didn't get me in the Writers Guild, uh, and, w, and, and, and ATM shot in Canada. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm getting my timeline right here. But anyway, the, the assignment that got me into the guild was uh, was to rewrite a, a movie for M Night Shyamalan. Hmm. And so that was different, and that well, it was very different because he flew me out to where he lives in Pennsylvania. So I met him at his place and everything else. So it was, that wasn't an over the phone pitch. So maybe that was why I got it. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, how, what was that rewrite like? I mean, I, this this must have been your first rewrite too. It was yeah, it was it was my first rewrite. Yeah. It was which uh, is something. I mean, in features, people are called upon to do all the time. It's a big part of the job is rewriting someone else. Or yeah, <laughs> being rewritten. Sure, by sure. No, no. It's it's happened a lot since you know where I've written re- other people's stuff and mm-hmm. people have probably rewritten me. I just don't know. Uh, and for for that, it was. Well, I mean, first of all, it was like it was kind of just the unique thing of being like, all right, you're being flown to M Night Shyamalan's compound, right. and so it's <laughs> like, and and you know, going in. I, I mean, I heard all the stories that everyone's heard, and, and like, all right, I don't know what this guy is going to be like as a person. And thankfully, he is the exact opposite of the stories. He is not That's at right. all that person. He is, you know, just a regular down to earth dude. So it was like, all right, that put me very much at ease. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was a unique experience in a lot of ways. I mean, that project was a, it was part of that. He did Devil. He was doing the mm-hmm. Night Chronicle series, where like three films he was going to produce. That right. you know, his ideas, hiring directors, hiring producers. So it was, uh, you know, it was there were a lot of people involved hmm. and stuff like that. But I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, I, I don't normally get flown to people's compounds <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to pitch. Not yet. Yeah. Um, are there? I imagine there are. You know. Challenges unique to each time you are brought on to rewrite, uh, but are there things that you that are asked of you over and over again when you know when specifically you are brought on to rewrite mm-hmm. a script? Uh, uh, or are there like, expectations there of bringing you in? Well, I mean, it's different. I mean, that's the thing. Is like as I said, I think a few times uh, earlier, where it was you know everything for me has been how do I grow? Like how do I mm-hmm move forward and not stay stagnant in one particular place. And so there's kind of like the the pre-Sea of Trees version of my career in the post, hmm. right? Which has right. been great. So Because it's like, just like Buried for me was, you know, like that break that got me into the party. I feel like Sea of Trees has, 
you know, got me to kind of be able to mingle with the, the host once in a while. Right. Yeah, and sense. so, and so, uh, and so it's kind of like, I, I, you know, the jobs I'm going in for now, it's not as much as, I mean, truth be told, it's not as much as a bake-off bake off as it mm-hmm. was before. So it's not like 20 writers. Yeah. You know, sometimes I first write her in. And so it's like, so I think, the, you know, the, the whole situation is different. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you know, the expectations are, are different as well. You know, and, and yeah, a good way. Makes in sense. a good way. Absolutely. What do you think you bring to those scripts? Uh, that I mean I don't know I mean I feel like I don't know I I think I think I do character work fairly well I think I do dialogue uh, you know mm-hmm. I think my dialogue's pretty strong and I think I think there's a muscularity to the stuff I write and I think people like that are bringing me in are gonna, gonna, they're they're not going to bring me in necessarily to do a really soft piece mm-hmm. you know even Sea of Trees even though it's a drama there's a little bit of muscularity mm-hmm. to that film uh, so I think I think that's part uh, partly what people you know, want for me. That makes I think sense. you'd have to ask them. I yeah. don't know. But that's, know. Uh, that, that definitely makes sense. I mean, and that crosses genre mm-hmm. and that, you know, crosses budgets. It's, it's really something that you can bring. You can bring personally to a script. Um, before we wrap up and we are almost out of time. Okay. Um, what what are some of the other fun things you are working on? Can you talk about any of them? Are there any you're particularly uh, excited to work on? Yeah. Well, there's um, a few of them, actually. Well, there's... Um, I'm, I'm doing something for Warner's right now called Blood on Snow, mm-hmm. which is uh, an adaptation of a Joe Nesbo novel. Oh, sure, so, that's some bleak stuff. Yeah, it is, <laughs> and I mean, it's it's I mean, it's it's um, Leonardo DiCaprio's company is involved, mm-hmm. and Daniel Espinosa's directing. So it's like I mean, there's really great people. Wow, that, yeah. For me, this has been like you know just a, just a pretty amazing experience to to be working on this. Uh, and then I'm also this has been great that I'm working with. Rodrigo Cortez again, the director of Buried. Nice. He and I are uh, working on this project for Lionsgate called Down a Dark Hall, which mm-hmm. is a, an adaptation of a of a Lois Duncan. Lois Duncan. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and so uh, so I mean those two, and then and then you know, look, I I I, cont- I hope to continue to direct. I have some mm-hmm. projects that that might go in the next six months. You cool. know, but you know, it's one of those things. Mm-hmm. And then I'll keep working. I'll keep writing that passion script of mine. That you know, once I've carved the time. That script will get done. I'm actually ashamed to say it publicly or even privately <laughs> that it's not done yet and it should be done. Sure. For me, like not for anyone else's, you know, demands for myself. It's like, it's like, a, I'm, I'm like a, a disgrace to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I know a forest where you can go. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, so, Sea of Trees, sometime in 2015. Yes. Um, and tell me again the one, the name of the one you the directed. Atticus Institute. And that's is January, right? Yeah, that's what I was told. That's awesome. Congratulations. What uh, before we wrap up? What are you watching these days? What is getting you excited uh, to or inspired to write yourself? Uh, movies, TV, anything? The Leftovers. I I, I, I really really like that show, and it's uh, I'm kind of bummed it's in you know. In between seasons right now, mm-hmm. and then so, what is it that you're responding to in it? I, you know, I I'm a big fan of ambiguity. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of kind of just like peeling the layers away bit by bit and just giving a little taste here and there. And so I think that is also the same thing. Why my wife's actually rewatching Breaking Bad. She and I watched that. We just binged through it a long time ago, mm-hmm. and she just started watching it again. And That's and right. it's just, I mean, to me, that is. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen a better television show in my life. So, yeah, I mean, those are the stuff. Those are the things I'm watching. I'm psyched for Interstellar. I'm kind of with the masses <laughs> on those sort of things. Well, the stuff for the masses these days is so good. Yeah, that's I true. Mean, it's, that's true. Especially on TV. It's the mm-hmm. highest quality we've gotten. But thank you oh, for thank being you. here, Chris. <laughs> I really pleasure. appreciate it. 
Now leaving Nerdist.com.